0: guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clindaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. All right, Weston Brown, welcome to the Asking Why podcast, man, episode two. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So um, like I told you, I wanted to have you in because, um, you know, you know your stuff and you're a pastor at Covenant Church. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about um, Covenant Church and what you guys do and um, why you do it. Well, that's very kind of you, man. I I don't know how
1: much stuff I actually know, but um, Covenant Church is um, a church that's about 10 years old now and is in Bossier City, Louisiana. Uh, They made at a school there, and they've been a mobile church since day one, Uh, but they made at a school called Providence Academy, and I joined the pastor team at Covenant probably four years ago now, and I, I initially came on because the church has just a huge culture of church planting and has helped plant churches around the country in a variety of ways, but they had never planted a church locally other than that one. And we uh, had a large contingency of people who lived in Shreveport, which was about 30 minutes away from where the church was meeting. And so I came on staff initially to be a pastor, but eventually to lead a group of people to plant another church here in Shreveport. And so about two years ago now, we started Covenant Shreveport. And Covenant Shreveport is its own unique animal in in a lot of ways. We are connected familially to Covenant Church in Bossier, but we're a separate church, we're an autonomous church, so we look a little bit different, we're a little bit more contextual to the place where we are, as opposed to the place where they are, and um, yeah, man, I I can talk for days about kind of what we do and our model and uh, all that stuff, but um, but yeah, I mean, we're just trying to be a good gospel-centered church that loves Jesus and is um, primarily living life on mission in the every day, not just revolving around events.
0: Yeah. So that's one thing, you know, that I love about what y'all do and just about, um, you know, talking to people as a therapist and having people in here, the theme that I've heard for so long is just, especially in the South is what to 98% Christian. Um, <laughs> right. yes. but if you look at our, our landscape, like it doesn't typically look like a bunch of disciples walking around, mm-hmm. you know, serving the poor and helping those in, in widows and, and me and you worked at the hub together. And so you know, I knew your heart and I was like, man, you know, I want to have a conversation on the podcast about the reality of kind of American, American Christianity. And I knew that covenant church is a little different than the typical Mm -hmm. um, thing that people maybe have experienced where people have experienced more religion. So they go to church on Sunday and Wednesday and the doors are open, but they don't have kind of a daily mission. So tell me about um, your experience with church growing up and kind of what led you to, wanting to do Covenant Church and why that was specifically different.
1: So I I grew up in the church and became a believer when I was 12, 13 years old, was baptized. And very early on in my teenage years, I, I felt a very clear sense of calling to vocational ministry. Uh, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, and so my only understanding of vocational ministry was that I was either going to be a pastor in a local church or I was going to be a foreign missionary. <laughs> right. Like that—that—that that, that was all I knew of vocational ministry. And uh, by the time I was fifteen or sixteen, I, I felt pretty clear that the Lord had called me to be a pastor. And. Uh, long story short, I, I wound up being ordained when I was 19. I, I started leading a church that same year and have been doing that in some form or fashion ever since. Um, and so so now 17, 18 years, something like that. And for much of that time, I was a pastor in some very large mega churches, primarily in the Dallas area, and really thought that that was what success and local church ministry was, that success is all about size and money and influence and reach and all of those kinds of things. And so I had just kind of gone headlong into a, a, a career in ministry, but not necessarily a life of ministry. Um, and at the time, I don't, I don't know that I really understood that there was a difference between those things. Uh, we moved here to Shreveport about 10 years ago now, and, and once again, I was on staff at a large church. And just a couple of years after moving to Shreveport, the Lord did some incredible things in my life, my wife's life, to just wake us up to the great commandment of, of loving God and also loving our neighbors as ourselves, and that those aren't necessarily two separate things. That, that one of the ways that we best worship God is by loving our neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we became incredibly convicted of the fact that we were terrible neighbors um, in, in in the most basic sense. Like we, we did not even know the people that lived around us. Uh, we avoided them. Um, And yet every day I would get in my car and drive 15 minutes across town, and I I was a pastor in a church, and yet I had no vision to see the people around me as people that I was sent to as as sort of a missionary or to see them as people who were in need of the gospel. Um, For some reason, I had this bifurcation in my mind where those things happened in the church building across town. And the Lord in His in His mercy and grace, I think, just opened my eyes to the fact that there was something bigger and different from what I had been pursuing and what I, I had experienced in ministry. And so, like, like many people, there are, there are a lot of things, and this is particularly too, true with church planners, you don't get into church planning without some kind of a vision to do things differently. I mean, most church planners have some level of sort of holy discontentment from <laughs> right. with what they've experienced in the past. And um, the challenge with that, while that can be good and a great catalyst, the challenge with that is your tendency is to want to build something that's all about what we're not rather than what we are and what we're becoming and what we're for. And um, and so for me, I certainly had some things that I had seen in uh, especially kind of the mega church world that I, I thought, oh, we could do this differently or we could do this better Um, things surrounding leadership and money and whether or not discipleship was actually happening. And so so I had some ideas there and eventually felt the Lord calling us to to plant a church. Covenant Church already existed, and they were already doing some of the things that I had thought about and had felt maybe led towards. Um, One of those things was Covenant did not have a senior pastor. So I had always existed in a church where there was a very clear hierarchical, you know, kind of top down mode of leadership. Mm -hmm. And um, as I had served with a number of senior pastors over the years and had gotten to know them well, what I had come to learn was that many of these guys were just kind of secretly miserable because they were carrying this tremendous weight of having to be all things to all people, and that it was a a huge burden, but a burden that they felt like they couldn't really share with anybody. Mm -hmm. So many of these guys were very isolated, didn't have a lot of friends, definitely didn't feel like they could be real with people in their church community, um, had to act like they had it all together all the time. And um, man, the more time I spent with those kinds of guys, the more I felt like I don't want to be that, and I don't want to do that. And um, surely there's some other kind of way. Surely this isn't what like Jesus envisioned for his church. And so the more I dug into scripture, the more I came to feel like a, a more biblical model is, is a model in which there's a plurality of leadership, right. where it isn't kind of this American CEO business model, but instead is a model where a variety of voices and giftings are coming together and um, are speaking into their areas, of maybe of gifting or giving leadership to certain things, but ultimately all kind of come to the table as,
0: as peers and equals. Absolutely. And I, I know you well, so I know that uh, you would not say, oh, that's a, you can't do that, and that it's a terrible model and that people are doing something wrong. It's just not where you felt God was calling you to be.
1: Yeah. Well, here's the deal. God's always working in spite of us. Right. And the sometimes you can buy into what I call the illusion of purity when it comes to the church. Sometimes you can think that some particular model is going to finally give you the perfect church experience that you've always been after. So some people think they're going to find that in uh, the house church movement. Some people think they're going to find that by trying to be as close to the church in Acts 2 that they, you know, that they can possibly get to. Some people think they're going to find that with more money and size or whatever. And the reality is, is we're never going to find that perfect church experience where there's not the potential to be hurt or scarred in some way because we're all sinners. Like we, we all fall, fall short of the glory of God. Um, and, 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 and so the, the beauty of that is, is in spite of that, God is working, right? So, so no matter how flawed your model may be, and that no matter the ways in which you could make it better or different... Um, God is the one who's working in, in the midst of all of that, and he's the one who's changing hearts and calling people to repentance and saving people. And so um, so that, that's very comforting to me. Uh, this was not a pursuit of, I think we know how to do it right, right. Or, right or I think we've got the, the magic formula here. It, it was more of a pursuit of um, just, you know, I think it was a pursuit in my own life of finding a real family of faith. Um, and kind of moving out of the church primarily being an organization to the church really being more of a family on mission for the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus. Um, so so that's, that's what I longed for more than anything and just never really felt like
0: I had in these huge, very highly structured organizational churches. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, you know, if you're out there listening to this podcast and you're, and you're wondering how we got to this point, you know, that's, that's a subject that I kind of wanted to talk about today and and just American history and church. How did we get from your perspective to the point where we were more of a business model in America than maybe more what you would see in acts or more a community feel? I mean, I know that over the course of, you know, the last 50 years, we used to have front porches that people sat on, like it's been a total shift, not just in the church, but in American culture. Um, and me, as me and Cassie talked about last last week, you know, culture is made up of people, people mm-hmm. doing things differently, casting votes towards different things. And so now we have backyards, you know, h- hidden backyards where privacy fences are king and right, you, know, right. you don't want to have anything to do with anybody. So um, can you speak a little bit to, how did we get to the point um, in America where it is a business and it is butts in the seat and it is that way yeah
1: well first of all a book i would recommend if you're interested in american christian history is a book called the democratization of american christianity um, it's by a guy named nathan hatch and it's kind of a it's a little bit heady it's 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 a kind of an academic kind of book but man it is so good and and one of the things that it does is it really it really gives you a deep understanding of not only how we kind of arrived in the state that we're in currently, but but specifically how did we get to this place where we have seemingly hundreds of Christian denominations in America? Right. That was nice. right? yeah. like And, and so it, it does an incredible job of, of laying that out, The Democratization of American Christianity. Fantastic book. I would highly recommend people read it. Uh, so my understanding is that in the 20th century – following World War II, you had a big boom in the church, Um, and so as people were coming back from the war, starting families, starting new careers, that uh, the church in America just was growing and growing and growing and growing, and yet in in many of the mainline churches like the Episcopal Church in America um, and others, there was a move more towards theological liberalism, so things that had never been present in the history of the church suddenly became a part of the weekly church experience, things like uh, even even seemingly benign things like female priests, um, which then became female bishops in certain denominations, and, and then homosexual priests or homosexual bishops. And um, while that may seem commonplace to some people today, I, I think just historically you have to realize that for the hundreds of years of Christian history leading up to the 20th century, those things had never existed. Mm-hmm. And I, I think some of that stuff was, was well-intentioned in the sense that they were seeing some decline in the church, some people were leaving, and they thought, oh, if we can just make the church more relevant to modern culture or more in line with modern culture, then people are gonna come back and they're gonna be you know, a part of things again. And, and the reality is, is it had the opposite effect in many of these mainline churches because as the church became increasingly theologically liberal, and, and things that had never been the case were suddenly the case or things that had always been norms were thrown out the window, a lot of people were led to to the point where they thought, well, then why should I buy into any of this? Yeah,
0: what's the point of any of it at all if there's no consistency?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So So if these just kind of, set in stone tenants can be thrown out the window overnight, then why can't all of this be thrown out the window overnight? So uh, as, as that was happening, and as a decline in mainline denominations was starting, there, there was a continued boom in evangelical denominations. And so the Southern Baptist Church, for example, was, was just blowing up as you got into the 60s and 70s and 80s. And uh, one thing that came along during that time period is something we now call the Church Growth Movement which was an intentional kind of turn towards more of a business model of church and so some churches uh that are kind of you know bulwarks of that movement are churches like saddleback with rick warren and willow creek in chicago bill hybels those are churches that came around in the 70s and 80s and really pursued more of this kind of american corporate model of church ministry and saw great success with it in terms of numbers i mean just saw people coming in droves and as a result i think a lot of other churches looked at that model and and thought hey there's a lot of good stuff there that we could glean and put into practice in our own churches and you know here we are a few decades later and um, there are some wonderful things that have come from that and there are some challenging things that have come from that as well.
0: Yeah, like you said earlier, it's a, it's always a mixed bag and God's always involved in all of it. But I find it interesting that at the same time, you know, parallel with mental health and our understanding of counseling and our understanding of human psychology, you know, we all kind of bought into this idea of the American dream. Yes. But we forgot to ask, like, what was going to happen at the end of that? What was our purpose? So, yeah, we, we have better things. We have better lighting. We have more people there. People mm. look nicer. You know, they're they're doing better according to the American culture, but are those the things that make us happy? Are those the goals of the Bible?
1: Well, and and there were a number of big shifts that took place. So in the 1950s, and you can drive around our city today and see the remnants of this, but in the 1950s, um, churches were popping up everywhere, but they were popping up in the middle of neighborhoods. They they weren't necessarily on major thoroughfares. Um, Churches, I think historically in, in cities like ours, had been more in the downtown area, but those churches even started moving into neighborhoods. In that time period, but by the time we get to the 70s and 80s, churches start moving out of neighborhoods and more onto major thoroughfares, and they start thinking of themselves not in kind of a traditional parish church mode, where hey, we exist kind of for this little place or this little neighborhood, but they started to think of themselves in a more regional sense, like we're a church for the whole city. Um, well, our whole city has 200,000 people, you right. know, but but hey, we're a church for the whole city. And so we need to be in a super visible place. We need to be in on a major highway or street. We need to build bigger and bigger buildings. And at least around here in the South, I mean, if you if there was a time where if you built it, people definitely came. And, and I think we're still a little bit in that time period. Um, and, and so one of the things that I experienced that was off putting to me and that ultimately I, I felt like, man, there's got to be a better way to do this was churches that are building enormous buildings are ultimately incurring great amounts of debt. And so in a 10-year span of time, I I worked for a couple of churches that probably collectively had $10 million of debt from building campaigns. And that was challenging to me because in my opinion, I felt like um, that some of these things had been built out of covetousness because as we looked around at other churches that were seemingly successful or growing or flourishing like it's impossible to not feel like but they have this and they have this and like they have this multi-million dollar disneyland-esque kids space so Mm -hmm. of course they're growing so there is this natural sense in which you you think well if we're going to be like them if we're going to be successful in that way then we've got to have this stuff as well and so there's very much like a keeping up with the joneses thing that happens there and it's very unconscious and and you can very easily reason it away because it's Christian ministry, right?
0: I, and I think it's parallel with what society's doing as well because yeah. you know the church is pressured to keep up with what society wants from what they're seeing with the world. So they're like the they're having these staff meetings and these meetings and people are pressuring them to get those things done as well.
1: Yeah, it's a vicious cycle too because once you once you incurred that kind of debt It's hanging over you like you you may not think about it front of brain, but but it is there. And I found that it became very hard to like kind of ascertain our own motives, Um, because when you need people in the seats giving their money so that you can pay this off, ultimately, when somebody gets mad about something or when somebody has some kind of sin in their life, you're maybe less likely to actually address it or you're maybe more likely to want to appease them just so that they will be happy
0: and they'll stay there and they'll keep giving. And that's not helpful to anybody. Right, and and that's so similar to what we see in families in general, right? Mm -hmm. If the church is kind of a unit of Christ in the church and this, this Christian family and this body of Christ... It's funny because it works the same way any other system does. You know, you don't want to make your dad mad because you want affection from him. You want him to pay for your, you know, your, your college, mm, and mm, so he yeah. wants you to do these things, and so you do it, and yet no one's happy and everybody's miserable. But you're all like on the outside, like, oh, well, we're getting along, so yeah. it's fine. Yeah. So, you know, I want
1: to be clear. I don't think there's anything wrong with necessarily wrong with taking on debt. I think there's a level where it could be unwise for you um, or could become a detrimental thing to you um, or could just be poor stewardship at some point. Um, I I think the problem becomes when you actually change who you are or how you interact with people um, or, or you move more towards a tendency to want to just appease people or entertain people. So that they hang around and uh, continue to give. Um, so, so the whole financial piece is a big, I mean, it's a big problem for the American church on a, on a number of different levels. Um, churches that are large often don't have a lot of bandwidth to be generous because they are paying off a facility and they are devoting a lot of their money to personnel. Um, Because they feel like, hey, we've got to have a big staff team and a lot of ministries going on to kind of justify having the space that we have. And so in in the years that I've been working with nonprofits, I've just learned that the churches that you might think could be very generous or help fund something that you're doing or a new ministry sometimes don't have the bandwidth to do that because they're already overextended. Um, So so that's a big challenge. And then for new churches that are getting started for church plants, people just don't give like they used to. And so if you're thinking, hey, we're going to plant a church and it's going to be funded by the members of our church and everything's going to be fine, you may be in for a rude awakening. Um, New churches are really having to do a lot of work to develop multiple
0: streams of income just to make things work. Right. So then you have this other vicious cycle of a lack of discipleship, right? a lack of relational uh daily weekly discipleship that's teaching people how to what this even means right. you know so the church has missed it so how are they teaching the individuals in their in their church how to do it well with their finances i read some stats the other day and it was saying 1% uh of people who make $75,000 or more tithe hmm. so you know most of the tithing is coming from people who make less than $75,000 a year hmm. and then out of the people who do tithe 80% of those have zero debt Yeah. So the people who are tithing, 80% of them have no credit card or no credit debt. Yeah. And so you see this huge hole where, you know, I mean, it's also taxes, right? I mean, there's a bunch of reasons why um, people aren't uh, tithing. But, you know, the excuses of, oh, this, you know, this is um, because I pay these taxes or whatever. Like, typically, that's not really the truth. I mean, it's the same thing with not coming to therapy. People are like, oh, I can't budget it. And it's like, well, I have, you know a $90,000 vehicle and I have all these other things going on, but Mm -hmm. so it's priority.
1: Yeah. And, and some of that may relate to the way that people think about their money as well. And especially things that they think of as like charitable donations, whether it's to their church or something else. I think people want to feel like they're making an investment or that there is some kind of return on their giving. And sometimes in the local church, that's hard for them to see. And, um, so, you know, also, you know, there's a case to be made that earlier generations just had more of a sense of obligation to give to their local church. So I don't know what we don't really teach the tithe as as kind of our model. Um, I, the tithe is certainly a biblical concept. I don't really see it as a New Testament concept for the New Testament church. Um, rather, I think the standard that Jesus sets is even above and beyond the tithe. Um, So rather than just kind of having this mindset of, well, I've got to give 10% of my income to the church, and then I've got 90% of my income to do whatever the world I want with. Um, Rather, I think Jesus pushes us towards this model of whole life generosity, that it's not just your money, it's also your stuff. And it's also your home and your car and whatever resources that you have that that we should be open handed with all of those things, so that we can love our neighbors well.
0: Yeah, I had a a friend of mine, he was telling me how he has this Lexus that he had just gotten in nice leather seats and heated seats and he was at this red light and there was a lady, didn't have an umbrella, she was standing at the bus soaking wet and he just thought like, wow man, I can't. I would love to help her but I don't want her to get in this new car. <laughs> yeah. And it's that, I mean, all yeah. of us have had those moments in our life where we're like, well I don't, you know, I got this new thing mm-hmm. so I don't want to use it in that way or somebody could damage it or somebody could do something mm-hmm. with it. And uh, I think that speaks to the heart issue that is kind of modeled throughout the church sometimes in America yeah yeah without a doubt I um, I
1: mean I think it's 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 a it's just an ongoing challenge but what we're trying to call people to and I think we're seeing some strides in this is to just look at everything that they have as as something that has come from the Lord um, so if you have this mindset that here are the things in my home or the thing I drive around in that, that that's ultimately something that I've earned, or even something that I've acquired for myself, then I think you're missing it. I I think everything that we have ultimately comes from God, you know, depending on what type of church tradition you grew up in, it's possible that you grew up singing the doxology, which is a praise God from whom all blessings flow. And uh, in our church, that's something we sing every week and not just because it's something traditional to do, but it calls our mind back to the fact that God is the source of everything. And, and not just my stuff, but like literally the fact that I'm breathing in and out right now is because of God. And I can easily, uh, you know, go through my life living primarily on social media or in the news or, or wherever I'm living mentally and completely lose sight of the fact that every everything is God's grace and everything is a gift from him. And if, if you can really start to like turn your thinking towards that or, or what the Apostle Paul calls setting your mind on the spirit. Like if, if your mind can start to really be focused on that in your everyday, I, I think you will naturally become more open handed with what you have and, and you will naturally begin to stop seeing it as mine and and see it as something that has been entrusted to you for you to steward for God's glory.
0: Absolutely. That's great. I you know, that again, this is what the podcast is about, but it's like it makes me it makes me ask why. And so my brain goes to you know, what is it that people are so, when we talk about consumerism in America, it's just our need for stuff, our need to validate. And we look at, you know, what's going on in the church from a therapeutic standpoint. I'm like, well, you know, the divorce rate's 52% in the church and out of the church. So people are sure. dealing with historical trauma from war, from poverty, from racism, from sexism. And they're coming to church expecting to get this full, you know, fulfillment of that. And yet it doesn't work. And yet, and the culture alongside of saying, well, you need this thing and you need this next thing. So this church isn't giving it to you. So move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and like you were saying earlier, there's no perfect church. And yet we live in America where consumerism is, is the thing. And, you know, if you look at scripture, they didn't have much option, right? You know, the first church, they were a, a motley crew of a bunch of different people from a bunch of different places. And there was a lot of drama. You know, there was a lot of things going on where Paul and Almost them, immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't easy. So mm-hmm. sometimes we go, Oh, let's read Acts and it's great. They were all just sharing stuff and we should do that and it's like mm-hmm. Well no, technically they were, but like they were also fighting and arguing and saying who was the most spiritual and who was the most this and Sure.
1: Well, I mean, you read Acts too and things do really sound great, you know, and it, it does really sound like a family. And we're breaking bread in each other's homes, and we're devoting ourselves to prayer, and we're sharing things so that no one has to go without. And almost immediately after that, you've got these two people, Ananias and Sapphira, who, because of greed, like choose not to give financially towards what's going on in the church and they lie about it to the apostles and are struck down dead, right? <laughs> so like immediately just right after this kind of kumbaya utopian type moment, immediately things hit the fan. And, and it's not long after that, that you have a clash of cultures in the early church because you have the Jew, the Jewish Christians um, and then you have Gentile Christians and, and like what you're saying, all these folks are together. And and, you know, I I, I empathize with the Jews in that time period, many of them, because in their mind, they're going, hey, we're the people of God, like we're his chosen ones. And um, the Messiah has come through. Kind of the line of, of David and like Jesus was Jewish and he is the Jewish Messiah. And so it just makes sense to them that people would have to become Jewish. Right. Right. To follow Jesus. And then you've got all these Gentiles who not only don't know a whole lot about Judaism and it, the culture and the festivals and the law and all this stuff, but they're not interested in doing that right. either. And um, that's, that's a lot of the drama in the New Testament church is between these clashing cultures. And, um, and, and in today's world, fast forward to America, it's like, man, we are as separated and segregated and uh, you know, homogenized as, as we could possibly be in, in most places. And, um, you know, it's like the moment somebody says something that I disagree with or the moment that I feel like this is uh, this is kind of like that thing over there that I experienced, then we're out of there. And, And I think the bigger issue is that many people have never really experienced like a Christ centered family like a Christ centered community where I am really living life with these other people. They know me and I know them and we are sharing life together on some level. Um, instead the church is an event that I go to, or it's a club that I belong to, or it's kind of a concert that I watch sometimes. And, um, and so, yeah, man, I think the family of faith is really at the heart of what the church is supposed to be. And if you've never experienced that, um, then you don't really know
0: that that's available. Right? Ex- exactly. And, and it's—I had a client this morning. We were talking about the same thing. You know, I look at—I constantly look at the church as just another family unit. And you know, we were talking about this scenario and. I gave her like the healthy version and she she just didn't even think that that was an option, right? Because just like most of us, we didn't experience you know a, a, a family that was supposed to be how it was supposed to be it was broken or there was damage or there was trauma our experience with church there was some religious trauma or some abuse that went on mm-hmm. i mean we're broken and and so i see people not recover from that right you know they right. they move on and say well i'm done with it because of this one experience out of this one church yes or this one parent i had or this one teacher that i had and they they don't move forward in their life in ways that God can really work because they never heal and repair from that damage yeah. because they don't know there's a different option.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a hurt people, hurt people absolutely type thing in, in some senses. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I regularly talk to people who are interested in visiting our church or who have come to our church, and, and a lot of people come with their list, right? Absolutely. That is that is based on their past experience, their past trauma. And, and sometimes they're not even fully aware of what they're wanting or looking for. And so it can be really challenging with people. And, and what I try to do is I try to get people to change their thinking and to like set their expectations at a level that are reasonable. Um, because sometimes I think people are looking for something that truly does not exist. Absolutely. Um, so so when we say the church is a family, I, I mean that in, in in the good, the bad, and the ugly in the sense that it's very likely that you will get hurt in the church
0: just like your family.
1: Yes. Just like in your family. And it's, it's very likely that there are going to be people that you don't want to spend time with or people who are bullies or people who annoy you or people who say things that hurt your feelings, just like in your family. Um, the difference is, is that let's say you have an uncle that you don't really care for in your biological family. You don't enjoy spending time with him, but, but if if his house burns down, you're still going to like help, Right. Because he's your uncle. Right. And, and he's your family member. We don't treat the church that way. Most of the time, we're, we're here to get something out of it just for us. And I don't feel a sense of obligation to these people. And so if I don't really like it or if it's not really meeting my needs or if somebody says something that offends me or I didn't like that sermon. Then, well, I'm going to go try to find a place that meets more of those needs or ticks more of those boxes. I don't feel a sense of familial obligation to it in the way that I do to my biological family. And so we're trying to cultivate a culture where I I do feel that sense of obligation. And I I am kind of expecting that things are going to be hard sometimes, and there are going to be challenging relationships sometimes, and that God's using all of this to sanctify us. Like God is using all of this to help
0: us grow up into Jesus absolutely that's good yeah i mean so much of it like you're saying is about recovering from the things of our past whether that's a family relationship or a church relationship and uh you know managing disappointment i think it's a big deal you know one of the things that i tell people to do when you're when you're disappointed in your family when you're disappointed in a relationship or you went to a church and you had this like expectation it wasn't what it is is one kind of name what what are my emotions what am i actually feeling and And what I see in my office is nobody knows what they feel. Yeah. You know, they're either mad or they're sad. And there's a list of emotions that are long that say, oh, I'm feeling unknown or I'm feeling unloved or I'm feeling broken, you know, or I'm feeling taken advantage of. And and until you can say, well, what am I feeling? Then you have no control over what your behavior is going to be. Second is, is it personal? Hmm. Right. Are things as personal as I'm making them? Is it, it, did that person say that? Did that that sermon go that way? Did that, you know, am I not allowed to do this part of that ministry because they don't like me or there's something else going on Hmm. with them and with the system? Uh, Thirdly, um, lower, like you said, manage your expectations. Like what are my expectations for church? Am I showing up to consume? Am I showing up going, what can I offer with my job, with my career, with my focus, with my gifting? Or do I believe I have nothing to offer?
1: Right,
0: And I think so many people show up to church hurt, broken, desiring the gospel, desiring to be fulfilled by God or by somebody. And so they think so little of themselves that they can't offer anything. Right, You know, we talked about suicide last week with uh, somebody in my office, and we were talking about, you know, it's the 10th leading cause of death in the United States, Mm -hmm. meaning that more people are killing themselves than homicides by twice as many, and from 45 to 57, four times as much. And so self-hate is really like yeah, it's huge. The, you know the issue within all of us is we show up and we just don't like ourselves very much, so how could God? Mm-hmm. And immediately, our emotions get wrapped up, our perspective of taking it personally gets wrapped up, and then our expectations of others to fulfill all that you know, gets wrapped up, and we're down a rabbit trail. And so lastly, you have to kind of zoom out and look at the big picture and realize like, man, maybe this isn't about me, mm-hmm. or only about me. But even the church has taught us to kind of make it about us, right? The, yeah. the story of David yeah. and Goliath, the mm. story has turned into, if you can have enough faith, you can overcome all your giants. And that's true, mm. right? If you, if you lean into Christ and spend time with him, there are things you can overcome. Mm. But the story is not about you, right? The story is about God and how good he is and how consistent he is and that he wanted the Philistines to see his might and his power and his love and yet we teach our kids these stories and we become the center of the stories. Mm-hmm. And so of course we show up to church expecting to be the center of attention again.
1: Right, well, and, and things are kind of structured in that way. So if I go to a concert, I, I'm, I'm in the audience, right? I, I'm the one that this is for in many ways. And, and I go to the church and the church is kind of set up in the same way, right? Because there's a band on stage and there are people who are talking to me and I'm out in this crowd of people. So I think of myself as the audience. But the reality is we're here to worship God. Like God is the audience. And most of us don't come into church with that kind of mindset. I'm here hoping I'm going to get something out of this experience, or I'm hoping I'm going to grow in some way because of this. And I think you will, but, but it's not by pursuing your own self-interest first. It's by actually dying to self and, saying, I'm going to come together with this body and worship the creator of all things because he is good and he's given his only son for me. And, and so again, if you can just kind of shift your thinking in that direction, even when you come into a room where there's a band on stage looking at you, seemingly singing to you, we're actually here not to sing to each other, but to sing to God and to, to extol the name of God and to praise and give him glory. Um, and, and so, yeah, the, just the structure of things sometimes kind of monkeys with our thinking.
0: No, that's, that's a great point. I mean, I think it's the same way in, in what, we, what we do is that people come in with no skill, with no knowledge how the structure is supposed to be. And so we, we call it like reparenting yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't know that you weren't supposed to be responsible for your parents' feelings. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. people show up to church not even knowing that they're supposed to be worshiping God mm-hmm. and not getting something so they feel better. Mm-hmm. And so they have to be in a community like Covenant Church or some of the other churches in Treeport where they're getting reparented. Like they're mm-hmm. they're deconstructing what they understand about this whole Christian thing in the first place. Right. Because in so many things, you know, we had Christmas this year, um, with, with my oldest is six and we have we kind of mentioned Santa over the last few years, but we haven't done the big Santa thing. Like we, we haven't really pushed it. We didn't really say anything about it, but we didn't deny it. You know, we wanted to have a little bit of fun, but it was so important to me to go, okay, if we lie to him and say, yes, there absolutely is a Santa. Then what, how are we going to transition that to God and Jesus? And you know, people can have whatever opinion they want and they can do it for fun, but I think it's very important that we're clear with this is for fun and this is for pretend and this is separate but Mm -hmm. yet jesus becomes like santa especially in the south it's you know behave this way do this thing dress this way show up this way definitely don't tell anybody you have any sin Mm -hmm. you know because they're going to judge you and criticize you and they're not going to be here Mm -hmm. and so you all show up in your khakis and your button downs ready to receive this message so you feel better and you're certainly not there vulnerably Desperate for the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I've done missions down in New Orleans and missions in other countries, and you get there and, you know, everybody's just desperate for what you have to say. Mm. And I think in in America, we've transitioned, unlike the first church, where we have so many options, that ingratitude becomes this huge issue and hurdle that we have to get over, that, well, these people have it better, they have this other thing, and we become like spiritually picky eaters. Yes. You know, and we're like, well, I don't really like this, so I'm going to go, you know, eat over here.
1: Yeah, and and I think the challenge is how do you um, how do you act that way in life in general? Because that's the way everybody approaches every other area of their life, but then not act that way when you come to the church. Yeah, right. Like how? So how is it possible for you to be opinionated and picky when when it comes to your kids' school or when it comes to where you eat out or any other what house you buy, what car you buy? but then you come to the church and then suddenly those opinions are off the table. Like, like how, how in the world can you cultivate a life like that? You can't, right? Right. It's really, really hard. And so it's, it's like, a, it's almost like I have to be one way or the other.
0: Yeah. And people do because they don't want to give up that selfishness. We don't mm-hmm. want to live life going, well, maybe I should think about other people first or maybe I should think about this. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they don't want to, it's that, you know, they don't have the awareness that it is even happening. Yes. Right. I mean, I've been there. I mean, there. you know, I know both of us without Christ and without the Holy Spirit, um, you know, still fall into that trap of being selfish. Everybody does. This isn't a, oh, you've all got it wrong. You need to get your stuff together. But it's just an, I think people are disappointed in what they're getting and then they're left going, well why am I disappointed? I don't even know what I'm disappointed in because they don't even understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. You know, us summarizing kind of history and, and what's going on with people. I mean, my goal is so that the people that are out there listening who are really struggling with it not being fulfilling, that it's not because the music's not good. It's because your whole modality of doing Christianity was, you didn't know. You probably didn't have a family that was modeling it. Well, and, and I, would, I would
1: add to that, Clint, it's, it's quite possibly not fulfilling because an hour on a Sunday morning just singing some songs and listening to a sermon is not enough for a full and flourishing Christian life. It just isn't. Um, and, and I think we have reduced it to that for people in the hopes that it will you know, be more accessible to them or something. But a full and flourishing Christian life is a life that is lived daily in pursuit of Christ and um, a life in which we are daily seeking to step into his mission as, as his follower and a life in which daily we're seeking to center the whole of who we are around the way of Jesus. And, and so if your only interaction with the church in, in a seven day week is an hour, hour and a half on a Sunday morning and, and it's, hey, I'm gonna sing a few songs and I'm gonna hear a 30 minute pep talk and go home, that's not enough to like hold me over and to keep me dying to myself every day until I can get to the next week I need a community around me Right? I need other people who are also doing the same thing. I need people who daily in my life are going to remind me of the gospel who are going to preach the gospel to me even though they may not be preachers who are going to tell me about the goodness of Jesus so that I, I'm just reminded of oh, oh yeah, that's who I am that's who he is, that's what he's done for me this is what he sent me to do so so just going to the thing while while it can be a great bonus and, and I think is incredibly important um, it, it, if it's not lived out in the midst of this life of community um, seeking to follow the way of Jesus then it's it's obviously going to come up lacking.
0: Yeah and and you know I think to bring us to COVID for a second you know that's shi- shined a huge light on the fact that one time a week's not enough. Oh yeah man. You know people are just falling apart yeah. and they realize that like their, their faith being their parents' faith or being their friends' faith or being this idea of, well, you know, I can't do church, I can't go, and so now I have nothing, mm-hmm. you know? And I found myself going, man, I really miss church, like I really miss community, I really miss doing corporate worship, and at the same time, I can do without it for a while. Mm-hmm. because I have other things in my life. I have men that I call therapists that I go to people that I check in with on the daily, you know, I have books that I read and things that I'm pouring in, you know, allowing God to pour into me that are not just worship on a Sunday. Worship. Isn't just when I go there, right. it's kind of like, uh, I mean, to be graphic, it's like, it's like sex, you know, intimacy in marriage is what you want. Sex is a outpouring of that. Mm. And Sunday morning is, is great but it, it should be an outpouring of what was going on throughout the week. And if yeah. you just expect sex or Sunday to give you all the fulfillment that you need for the rest of the week until the next time, you're going to be sorely disappointed and disappointed in the relationship you have.
1: Yeah. 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 So um, when we come into the Sunday morning experience kind of with arms crossed going, what do you guys have for me today? Then we're not coming in following a week of, Seeking to follow after Jesus in our everyday lives and experience his grace and his goodness experiencing hardship experiencing suffering maybe as well But being able to come into this place with other believers and go man. God is so good. God is so gracious to me Um, Instead we come in as consumers going. Yeah, what 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 kind of tidbit do you have for me this week? Or what, what warm fuzzy do you have for me now so that I can go back out into the slog? That's my everyday life We live bifurcated lives I think that's that's the reality for many people is uh, we have this spiritual dimension to our lives, but it is often closed off from the rest of our life, which is the majority of our life. And um, the majority of our life revolves around career and family and school and those kinds of things. And And then at certain times, I'll open myself up to the more spiritual dimension of things. And it's when I come to an, a church event or it's when I go to a Bible study or something like that. But many of us have gotten really good as, as soon as that's over, I'm, 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 I'm turning that off. I'm moving back over into this other space where I'm guided primarily by the norms and the culture of whatever world I inhabit on a daily basis. And so I think that's a big challenge for people who just kind of work in corporate America. For example, Mm -hmm. more than likely because this is where you spend the majority of your time every week, it's quite possible that you're primarily being discipled by that world and by that culture and and not by the way of Jesus. And so even though you may occasionally go to church, even though you may go to a Bible study here and there, um, if you've given yourself over to this other thing, then it, it becomes really difficult to be somebody who's shaped by the way of Jesus and who operates in this corporate space. Um, And so we wind up in this very kind of bifurcated existence.
0: And I think that just plays out into a number of different spheres in our lives. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. For sure. I think, um, again, you know, where we're at in the coronavirus shows us that we do have that separation. I mean, I I feel like there's a difference between, um, you know, Christ following and religion. Mm -hmm. And in America, that there has, it's blurred lines for a long time. But then, you know, Corona has made, I mean, I've seen a lot of people run really hard to Jesus and then others just be like, well, what was that? Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I don't really need that. It's not that big of a deal, whether it's because they were just there consuming and it wasn't really making a difference mm-hmm. or because they had, like I said, they have enough going on in their life where they realize that church is just a thing that adds to what they're already doing with their family, what they're already doing with their, and ultimately, you know, we have to leave it as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one doing all of that work. And I think mm-hmm. we, We've learned in the individualized culture to put a lot of that pressure on ourselves, to shame ourselves for things not being, and, and you said something earlier I wanted to key in on, it's the suffering piece. Mm-hmm. The other problem I see within the church is that we think that if we're Christians, that if we follow Jesus, that if we pray, that everything will be fine. Right. Because we ask those questions, when th- everybody asks those questions in here, why would God allow it? Mm-hmm. Right, why would God allow these bad things to happen for, you know, my my daughter to pass away, my my dad to pass away, for me to get cancer, you know, all these things. And these you don't ask those questions when everything's going great. Yeah. You ask those questions in the hard times and we live in a culture that kind of communicates that to them. We're like, you need to show up and do the right thing and God's gonna you know, everything will go your way. Mm. And so Again, it's consumerism. It's I'm going to perform and behave so God takes care of me and hashtag blesses me, you know, but they don't really understand what a blessing is. This is something we've been talking a lot about uh, lately because we've been studying through the book of Romans
1: on Sunday mornings, and uh, the Apostle Paul talks a lot about suffering. Um, You know, I kind of grew up in a church environment that said Jesus suffered so that you won't have to. Right. Right? Yeah. And and yet... It's hard to believe something like that and then look at the life of the apostle paul because paul is a guy who's constantly getting beaten up thrown in jail he gets shipwrecked he gets bitten by a poisonous snake he ultimately gets martyred for his faith i mean i mean it's just like hurdle after hurdle after hurdle after hurdle and if your mindset is, if you're a real person of faith, you will never suffer in any way, shape, or form. Then I go, what in the world do you do with the lives of the apostles? Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is is that Jesus has died so that we would be relieved from having to suffer the punishment of eternal separation from him, of having to experience hell and, and, and all that comes along with that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that our life now will be complete happiness with no issues or struggles, Jesus himself spoke to that. Mm -hmm. And Jesus calls his way um, a a narrow gate. He says, easy is the path that leads to death. Um, So so he very clearly tells his followers, if you're going to come after me, it's going to be incredibly hard. And when you look at the lives of the apostles, you see that played out. So in Romans, Paul talks a great deal about suffering. And one of the things he says in Romans 8 is we should rejoice in our sufferings when we compare it to what is to come. Like we know that because of what Christ has done for us, there is this future that's waiting for us. And it's not just a future where we're saved from death. It's even greater than that because it's a future where we become children of God. Like he, he adopts us into his family and Paul says we become co-heirs with Christ. So if your understanding of salvation is praise the Lord because of Jesus, I don't have to die and go to hell. Well, you're right on about that, but there's even more to it. Right. Like the story gets even better. And it's that, no, 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 you now truly become his child in the way that Jesus is his child. You become a co-heir with him. And Paul goes, man, if we grasp that, if we see what that future really is, if we recognize we're going to sit at the king's table with him, man, who cares what we have to go through right now? Like, who cares what we have to experience right now? And when you look at Paul's life, you go, well, he must have really believed that, right? Because oh, sure. because no matter where he was, no matter what he was suffering, no matter what he was experiencing, I mean, he was still sharing the gospel. He was still pouring into people. And it's because he had this vision of what was to come
0: yeah and i think sometimes people hear that and think well then i have to be perfectly happy in all the bad stuff that's happening with my life right and the reality is is that (laughs) paul grieved yeah he cried jesus grieved jesus cried you know we avoid pain it's a natural inclination for us to go okay i don't want to do that hard thing yeah right i mean jesus in the garden the first thing he said was if there's another way let's do that option yeah right so it's okay for people to grieve and to lament and to and to suffer but at the end of it, enduring it, knowing and trusting in God is what's gonna get you through it. Knowing there's a long term um effect that's gonna come out of it and that you're not in control of it because you believe in something greater than you can ever imagine is what helps us survive. You know, I've heard a bunch of people say, I don't know how people do it without Jesus. And I'm like, They don't. <laughs> they they don't make it. I mean, look at our marriages. We barely make it with the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, even as Christians, which I think is the hip- hypocrisy is the hard part is we're all hypocrites. Mm. I mean, I'm the biggest one, you sure. know, like Paul said, like I'm the greatest sinner. And the closer you get to Jesus in your walk with Christ, the more depraved you realize you are. Right. It's not that the closer you get, you're like, oh, I'm more holy and I'm even better and I sin less. It's like the farther away his holiness is. Yeah. You know, you, the closer you get, the farther and more amazing and awesome he is. And it's that, it's that you know, rejoicing in that suffering. It's having that humility. It's persevering. That is the walk of Christianity, and it's so hard, mm-hmm. which is why there's a narrow road that's going to be down. Then that few mm-hmm. people do. And one thing I try to talk about is just you know people say, well, I want a normal marriage, clean, or I just want my kid to be normal, and I'm like, no, you don't. Yeah. If you're in the church and you're a Christian, you do not want to be normal. Yeah, yeah. Because norm is unhealthy. It is, and um, you know, I think one thing that is helpful to people is
1: is to help them understand that the way of Jesus is a countercultural way. That for many of us, the Christian culture in America that we've grown up with is is a subculture of the mainstream culture. Right. So it, it's it,
0: swimming down the same stream. It is. Yeah.
1: It, it just has a Christian label on it. But the actual way of Jesus is perpendicular to the culture. It, it is. It is a totally different way, and it's part of the reason why he was killed, right? Um, and, and so he's called us into that same way, which is a way that says we are shaped by him and his word and the guidance of the holy spirit not by whatever the norms of the mainstream culture are and yet my fear for a lot of christian culture in america today is what really
0: shapes it is is not the way of jesus what really shapes it is the mainstream culture itself absolutely and i think why that is is that people again have so much trauma have so much family history stuff that they just want to be comfortable they've survived so much yeah You know that they're like i just i want to have five years or 10 years where i'm not suffering and i'm not struggling and i'm not having these people abuse me or take advantage of me or do these things to me and they don't realize that the things that they're running to whether that's sex whether that's you know addiction whether that's alcohol and drugs whether that's whatever it is you know working materialism that those things aren't meeting that need either yeah and so they're stuck in this middle where they're like you know church isn't the answer i don't even know what that answer is but I'm doing all these things, and that's giving me no worth and value. It's, mm. it's always, I need more, I need more of this. And then, like you said, they're spending 40, 50 hours a week listening to that message from the culture. Mm. And and then insert, in the last 10 years, social media.
1: Yeah. Yep. Right,
0: and so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and kind of what have you seen as a pastor? Um, what are kind of the, if somebody's listening out there and they're a Christian and they're like, you know, I'm on social media, I'm doing these things, but it's really feeling more unhealthy, but I don't know how I can get out of that and still be a part of the church. Like youth, youth groups, like they're, they're all on you know social media. And I hear these parents say, well, I want, I don't want my kid to have a smartphone, but you know, the only option they have to be in, involved in the 12 year old, 13 year old class is them to all be on the, you know, Instagram, or the, right. the Instagram, the Instagram. Yeah, I sound like I'm 80, <laughs> but yeah. So, so what, how would you speak to what you've seen change? And then what oh, are some man. of the pitfalls and what, how do you, if you have any ideas of how we can get our way out of this,
1: yeah, I mean, I'm increasingly becoming um, of the mindset that the bad far outweighs the good when it comes to social media. I I, um, I have a Facebook page and an Instagram account, and I've really backed away from engaging with those things much, especially over the last few months. Um, I've never really been on Twitter. Um, I hear that's a whole other oh, thing. It's so toxic right in, here, in and yeah. of itself. Um, but, but I'll tell you one of the reasons why I've held on to having an Instagram account and a Facebook page is because of, of ministry. Like I, I, because we have like church stuff and we post things and, and I, I've, I've just thought, well, I can't shut this stuff down because I need access to do this or this. And the other day I, I suddenly had the thought, like, why is our church even on these things? Right. Like what, like what, because it's not like we have a strategy of evangelism when it comes to Facebook and Instagram. It's not like we're intentionally trying to reach the lost through these platforms. And and there may be some churches out there that have that kind of a strategy and are approaching it in that way. I mean, right now we, we just kind of post stuff that's a little bit more for our church body. You know, we'll, we'll throw sermons out there and we'll post, you know, here's what's kind of coming up on the calendar type stuff. And we can do that in a variety of ways. Like we don't have to do that on social media. I, I've actually realized a lot of our church members are not on social media because they've, because it is so toxic, they've gotten off. They don't want their kids to be on it. And, um, and so I was just having a conversation this morning about what does it look like for us to actually just completely pull out of this? Wow. Like, what will we do instead? Right. And, and the answer is, well, we have a website. We have a great website and you can sign up for our mailing list and we'll hit you with email. So you, you like, I, I'm, I'm, I can text you everything that you need to know about what's going on. So the thing that concerns me is that we would be intentionally pointing people to social media in order to hear from us when we could do that in a much easier way, in a much more immediate way. And what else are you running across while you're looking for whatever you're looking for from us?
0: That's a great point, man. I mean... I'm glad to hear you say that, it's funny you're talking about it because that, you know, that that's where I've kind of gone too. I, I took a break um, end of last year and took kind of a silent retreat, and I read uh, John Mark Comer's. Um, it's a book about hurry, basically, and busyness. Oh, and
1: the uh, the re- relentless elimination, ruthless elimination, yeah, of ruth, rel- of ruthless hurry? elimination
0: yeah. of hurry. Uh, and right. uh, and if you're out there listening and you feel. Like life is going way too fast, even in COVID, please yeah. stop and read it because it's amazing. But it was just talking about how much time people spend on social media every day, every week, every mm-hmm. month compared to like books you could read and right. things you could be like, you could have a master's in whatever you want in two years in the, in the amount of time that people spend on social media. Yes. And that's yes. a fact that's not emotionally driven. Yeah. And, uh, and so he was just talking about the same way. And so. Since then, I'd kind of went off in, in the beginning of the year. I went off social media completely um, for my personal page. And of course, we have Clint Davis Counseling. And, mm-hmm. and I'm the same way. I'm like, okay, one, we post a lot of really good things out there, good education. Good, so yep. I'm going to stick to that. You know, I, I'm going to be in the world and not of the world. I'm not going to post any of that. But I posted something, I don't remember, a couple of, I had not posted anything for my personal page in forever. And I posted something the other day. And my wife, as she does, is like, well, why'd you do that? You know, we yep. are, like asking why. It's, we, we have to ask each other, why are we doing the things we're doing as American church? Why are we doing the things that we're doing as Christians? Why are we donating to the things we're doing? And I was just kind of like, I don't actually know. So I had to yeah. stop and think. And I was like, I mean, I guess I could just, te- I was like, well, I want my dad to see it. I want my family to see it. And I'm yeah. like, I can just text them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, like, I can literally please. just text them the yeah. picture. So there's a little part of me that's like, no, I, I want people to see we're doing good. And even from a, well, God's good and, Mm -hmm. you know, it could be a completely quote unquote altruistic, but it's not because the the risk, it's not about right or wrong. It's not saying if you're on social media, you're wrong. It's about, it's about evaluating your risk, right? And saying, okay, if I am on this, can I manage the risk of this? Mm -hmm. You know, I know for me and I know scientifically, it's really hard to manage being on social media because of the scroll. Right, we know that psychologically, that dopamine hit that you get from seeing a like and seeing a heart and seeing someone follow you, or you know, you posting a picture of your kids and fifteen people saying they're so cute. Right. Even if you don't mean anything intentionally, it's feeding the wrong thing in your life. It's feeding that this is about me. This is a platform for me. And as we talked about, killing that is the most important thing in American church that we need to do. Mm. Is to realize that throughout our week, if we make everything about us, then we show up on Sunday. We're going to make it about us. So if you're going to stay on social media as a, as a member of a church, or if you're going to be a church, you have to ask why are we doing it and fine-tune it. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of us are just winging it because it's new. You know, In, in all of human history, it's only been around for like seven, eight years. Right. And so we're just winging the consequences of this thing. And I think very quickly you're realizing this is problematic. You know, mm-hmm. The amount of affairs, the amount of things that go on through Facebook Messenger and Instagram – the amount of just garbage in general that's on there. Yeah. I mean, whether it's porn or, or soft porn or just inappropriate marketing for financial things, you know, it, or consumer bits, it's like no matter how long you're on there, you're going to get fed something that's super unhealthy.
1: Yeah, without a doubt, man. So, I mean, that's ultimately what has led us to be thinking about those things. Um, I don't know exactly what we're going to do just yet, but I don't think it would be a big deal at all for us yeah. to pull the plug.
0: I wish I knew it. There's a great YouTube uh, TED talk and it's a guy and he says, why do you think you have to have social media? And he breaks down these kind of five points. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're you know, out there listening and you want to Google that and listen, and it's all the things that people say, like we're talking about now that you have to have it. And he, right. he does a great job of being like, well, you actually don't. Like I haven't had it in five years. Mm-hmm. I'm a professor. I do talks all over the country. I have mm-hmm. tons of friends. I have great engagement with well, what we do socially. Yeah. My kids are fine, you know. And like you said, I think we're going to have to to do something as the church where we teach people why that is, Mm -hmm. you know, not just say don't do it, kind of like sex, but we have to talk to them about what the details are, what the consequences are, and let people make their own decisions and believe that they can, Mm -hmm. but give them the choice and say, look, if you're going to be on there, I'm not going to judge you for it. I'm not going to criticize you for it, but at least know why you're doing it. And I think that's so important um, is a point. That, that we have to get to as, as human beings adults people is going okay I have these behaviors I have these things I do but a lot of people just go well people just do it Yeah, and it's yeah. like no there's a reason why you do it and if you don't want to break that reason down it's probably because in your heart you know it's not something you want to give up Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm concerned in general
1: about, especially here in in the COVID era uh, of just the church's wholesale move online.
0: Okay. Yeah. I was going to go there next. That's great.
1: Because I, um, my, and, and some of this depends on your ecclesiology, like what you believe about the church. But for me, I believe the church is the gathered body, right? Right. That it, it is the community that is gathered together. And so the notion that that could happen into perpetuity virtually, just does not make sense to me Um, and and that's not to say that that can't happen or that the lord can't use that in some way Um, i just i don't know how to process that honestly Um, and so i was on a call a few weeks ago with a a number of pastors from around the country and uh, i i had asked the question how many of you guys were streaming your services online before COVID started and and most of them were probably 75 percent said yeah we were doing this and then a few Um, like us, we were not streaming beforehand. A few said, okay, we started doing it when COVID started. And I said, well, how many of you guys have a strategic plan to stop doing it once we're kind of out of this season? And nobody did. And, and, And nobody was even thinking about that. Everybody was just thinking, this is the new normal, and we're gonna have to get even better at like the presentation of what we're doing online. And, and that piece really concerns me because again, to go back to some things that we've talked about earlier, I, I'm worried that it, it even further diminishes for people what the church actually is. And 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 that it's all it's becoming is this is a music and sermon delivery tool for you. Oh, yeah. And, and that that is church. And so as long as you can log on and kind of watch this stuff, which I, I think some preliminary research has already shown, that even when people get on, the only thing they're really stopping and paying a little bit of attention to is the sermon
0: itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just worried with... The whole thing, yeah. And, I'm the same way in with therapy, mm-hmm. you know. And people will probably hate on me for saying this, but like I did telehealth for eight weeks. You know, we're still you know doing telehealth with some people, and, and obviously, like you're saying, it's not the whole right. We're not yeah. overgeneralizing saying you can never do anything online. You can never watch a sermon. You're not getting anything out of it, um, or giving anything to it. But it's the wholesale of it. You know, mm-hmm. there there's now I've been seeing ads for like texting therapists, like that you can just text in and do therapy. And what I know about therapy and church is that like the avoidance of dealing with people and dealing with what makes you uncomfortable and having to bring anything to the table Mm -hmm. is so easy. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to go, well, I don't have to do anything if I just sit here. Well, here's here's what
1: I know about counseling because I've been seeing a counselor regularly for years. Relationship is critical. And, and I tell people even now, cause you know, we send people to Quinn Davis counseling all the time. And, and what I tell people is like, be willing to find your counselor. Like you need to find the person that you connect with and that you trust. And when they say something to you, you take it to heart because you respect them. Like if you have a counselor that you feel like, I don't really know about this person or I don't know that I respect them, then it's not gonna help you in no. any way, right? So, so just like that, relationships are key. Relationships are key in the church and if if it's just something you watch then then it's like the next tier of a sunday morning consumer driven experience it's like man you don't even have to leave your house now and I, and i'm i'm kind of envisioning this post covid era yeah right like when we get out of this hopefully in 8 months a year you know 14 years, whatever it winds up being. Right, for sure. But, but if wh- Jesus
0: doesn't come back in 2020,
1: <laughs> but what are the new rhythms, you know, because, uh, you know, you read these books that say it takes X number of weeks to develop new habits. Well, here we are months into a bunch of new habits and a bunch of new rhythms and not and, all good and not all good. And if, even when a vaccine is developed and, and suddenly magically we're out of this, what are the new rhythms that have been established that you now can't
0: just flip the switch on and and go back to something that was before no you've established a routine you've established culture you've established finances mm-hmm. you've established your kids you know culture and now you have to switch it yeah it's going to be it's going to be interesting what comes out of it and i hope that just like therapy people don't you know i had this conversation with a business guy the other day and he was like yeah man i, I mean we're just going to keep everybody home from now on yeah. it's so much more efficient Hmm. You know, people have meetings, they you have more meetings. They don't have to go out and do anything. and spend money on lunch and coffee and all these things. So, hmm. and it's like, okay, well, again, what are, what's our goal? Is your goal money? Is your goal? Like I've heard, you know, pastors say, man, it's so crazy during COVID. There's like 70,000 people watching our online services, people that could never have been reached. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, yeah. well, that's true. Yeah. But are we talking about quality or quantity? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying, I mean, I know those pastors and they, they want, quality they don't want quantity and yes there are people who are hearing the gospel for the first time in ways that they never did but the long term we're taking this little short burst of things and going oh well then that's fine that's what I worry about Mm -hmm. same thing with therapy same thing with work because you know you go to Rhino and have a meeting Rhino Coffee here in Treeport and have a meeting and you meet You know, somebody there and you're talking and then somebody walks by and goes, hey, Bill, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, hey, this is Weston. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and then before you know it, their best friends come into Covenant Church and they find the Lord. And Mm -hmm. it's those relationship pieces that you can't do on Zoom.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You can't. You cannot do it. You can't run into someone and the Holy Spirit prompt you to pray with them or serve them while you're sitting in your living room. And if people think that's okay to do long term and forever, we're going to be missing and adding to that, that whole consumerism. Idea. Well,
1: I think I think it's missing the Great Commission. Absolutely, because the Great Commission is that we would go and make disciples, and and so that includes evangelism. That includes sharing the gospel with people, certainly. But what Jesus says in Matthew twenty-eight is it, it's teaching people to obey all things that I've commanded you. And I think His model is that that's something that happens in community. It, it's something that happens in relationship, and so. Um, so if your understanding of what we've been sent to do as the church is simply to share the gospel with people, I think you've got a part of it, but you don't have the whole. Like, yes, we have to tell people about Jesus and what he's done. We also have to show people what that's like. We have to demonstrate to people what that looks like because he was doing both things. He wasn't just walking around saying, Hey, here's who I am. And I love you. He's also healing people. He's driving out demons. He's feeding people. He's bringing people back from the dead. And in all of these things, he's showing people what he's talking about. He's showing people in my father's kingdom. This is what things are like. There aren't hungry people. There aren't dead people, right? There aren't sick people. And as the church, we've been sent with that same mission. And um, I, I worry that that's not something that we can actually do fully online. So, so if there is an online evangelism piece, as, as maybe there well should be, there, it has to be a part of a larger strategy, a larger whole where we're seeking to make fully formed disciples.
0: Exactly, and so we, you know, we have to ask those questions like, what are we doing, and why are we doing it? And most of the time, you know, Scripture says, "Without vision, my people perish." Mm-hmm. We have no vision right now for how to get out of this, and that's okay. Yeah, I just want people to talk about it. I want people to ask those questions. I want the average person who's listening to this go, "Oh man, yeah, that's so true." What are we doing about it? Mm-hmm. And realizing that, like, don't just leave it to your church pastors. Like, you're you're a microcosm of their leadership and so go to them and engage in those conversations help them because they probably don't know either mm-hmm. and uh one of my clients who i saw for a long time uh, i don't see her anymore she called me and she said um hey man i just want to talk to you about like you know how's it, how's it, how are we going to get out of this you know and she mm-hmm. was telling me about her experience and i said well you know it's interesting as a therapist this is the first time usually i mean in my life i have a ton of trauma so i can say well i've kind of been through that or i've had that experience or i drank that or done that or that didn't work mm-hmm. out but most, none of us have an idea of how we're getting out of this. Yeah. You know, we no we can't, there's no one we can call and say, Hey, how did you make it through this? Give me some advice and give me some hope that we'll come out the other side, Mm. even our clinicians, even our pastors. And so, you know, we have to remember that, that we are the beautiful thing about COVID is we are really all in this together. And it is such an opportunity for us to come closer, to focus on the things that we have that are the same and to plan together on, Hey, right now we don't have any excuse. Like we, it COVID actually is to blame for a lot of problems, and so while we have this thing to blame that's not a person. Let's fine tune some things in our church, fine tune some things for long term changes, so that when we come back, we're better and stronger and more united. Mm. Instead of looking at this as an opportunity to go, well, let's just do this. It's easier, it's more convenient, we make more money, the numbers are better. Right. Whether that's again therapy, church, business, you know, I, I see it across like all cultures.
1: Well, in my experience, it has been that people are getting really tired of it too. Oh yeah. Right. So early on, I think it was a little, uh, it was a little kind of fun, <laughs> you know, in, in a, in a, in a, strange way, in the way that like when your electricity goes out and you get to light all the candles with the kids and, Oh, it's kind of fun. The lights are out.
0: Especially if nobody in your life's dying or has exactly,
1: COVID, yes. exactly. Um, but for churches, I think it was kind of like, Oh, like we've never had to do this before in our lifetime. So this is kind of interesting and different. And, and even our families, it was like, oh, you know, this is kind of fun. We're in our pajamas and we can all sit mm-hmm. down on and turn on the, the Zoom feed or whatever the case was. And 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 yet, as it has drug on, we're, we're now in this place of like, oh, no, not this again. You oh, know? yeah. And and I, like I was reading an article the other day just about how many people, particularly in the millennial generation, who have idolized um, this idea of working remote and being able to travel because I work remote. And now suddenly I'm working remote. And it really sucks because yeah, every I day. I miss my coworkers and I can't actually travel right now. I'm kind of stuck here where I am. And this is
0: miserable. Yeah. And Cause they, they forget relationship is key. Absolutely. They forget it's those relationships at work that make everything. And when you're in the middle of it, it's like, it's kind of the grass is greener. Mm-hmm. If I can go do this and we in, we went to the beach a while back and there was a guy and he was like, yeah, I came down here for two weeks. I've been working, you know, for two weeks on the beach. And he's like, I'm so bored. You know, I want my family to be here with me. I yeah. called them and told them, please come. Yeah. But, like, right now, you know, in my brain, I'm like, two weeks on the beach, my kids, like, I can sleep, <laughs> like, I can relax. But it's always been that way for me. I, I, I think that sometimes when I get burned out with stuff, I'm like, man, I love a weekend away just to myself. I get t- two hours into it at a hotel, and I'm like, this is terrible. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've gone to a speaking t- engagement or something, I'm like, oh yeah, it's going to be a great weekend. I'm going to get to just downtime, read a little bit. Right. And Friday night comes and I'm like there for two hours and I'm like, this stinks. Yeah. Like I want my wife to be there. I want to see my kids. Like, mm-hmm. and I think that is just the reality that we're with COVID same way. It's like, that sounds fun. It sounds a little easier, but I mean, I, I see a ton of lead pastors and you know, their, their conversation has been, man, it's so hard. Yeah. It's it hard is. to do a sermon on a screen. Like to look yeah. at a, the red dot, do this sermon, get no feedback, have no relationship and then leave. Yep. And I don't think people realize that, that like it takes a lot of energy and effort with, with nothing for the pastor to do that week on, week off. There are a lot of pastors who are really, really struggling mm-hmm. right now
1: because the, um, the things that you have maybe looked to as sources of affirmation for what you do are, are suddenly gone. So whether that's a room full of people or that somebody walking to up to you after the message and telling you how much they got out of it or how much it meant to them, um, suddenly when those things are, are gone, it, it becomes a real challenge. And I've talked to a lot of guys who have have seen their numbers cut in half in terms of attendance, even though they're back meeting in person, people just aren't coming back, people aren't there. and. It feels demoralizing and like, how do we dig out of this? And I think it's a big challenge. We, we thankfully have not experienced a whole lot of that in the way that some people have. But I have friends in ministry whose churches are displaced because they met in schools um, or they met on college campuses. And they may not necessarily have the money to just go buy someplace or they would have already done that. Um, so there are a lot of challenges that are facing churches right now, and I, and I am a little bit concerned if this goes on for another eight months to a year, just what are some of the long-term repercussions of that. Um, I think around here in, in, in North Louisiana, in the Bible Belt, you have a lot of cultural Christians, which means you have a lot of people who go to church uh, semi-periodically not so much because I'm a follower of Jesus, but because this is a part of the culture around here and it's socially expeditious for me to do this. And my parents go there and I grew up there and I generally view it as a good wholesome thing for my family and it's viewed favorably in the culture. And, and, and now for really the first time in my life, I have a semi legit excuse to not be there yeah. and I'm taking it. And I, I think that it's quite possible that we may see a lot more kind of Easter and Christmas Christians here in the south once this is all over people who maybe used to be there semi-regularly but who are just kind of gone and I I think what could possibly happen is that they continue maybe to give to the church on some level because it assuages some of their feelings of guilt for not being there
0: yeah and and if if you're out there listening to this and that's you and you feel like yeah I don't really care they're kind of right and you know or I'm feeling that way you know just remember that the things that, that you don't like about religion and don't like about church and that are difficult, they're the things all of us don't like because they're not actually usually biblical. Mm. They're people doing those things. They're systems. They're the American culture that we're talking about today. And, and I hope that we've kind of un- unpacked a little bit about why that is, what that looks like, so that if you're feeling you know, some kind of tension on going back to church, being involved in church, if you're a college student, you're a young adult and you're like, why do I even care about this? Why? Cause that's the other thing, right? Mm-hmm. Millennials are, I think 44% of them, you know, are Christian right? and, and that used to be 77% in college. And the, the drop in attendance before COVID was like 20, 20% in the last decade. So we are already seeing this decline and then COVID hits. And so we've got to figure out how to, look at the church not from a consumer standpoint of what can i get out of it but what can i bring to it it's like marriage you know you get married and that first initial this is great i like this i'm not sure about these things but i'm gonna stick it out Mm -hmm. and then you stay in it and you're like well there's less things that i like than i don't and you know that's not a good enough excuse to get married i mean you know if there's (laughs) if there or not 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 stay married and you know obviously if there's adultery or abuse or things like that there's always this this out and a healthy way to do that but A lot of marriage isn't divorced based on those things. A lot of things are just like culture. Like, I'm tired of it. I'm going to move on to the next thing. I don't really like this. And it's the same way with church. Instead of investing and saying, I'm going to be here long term, better or worse, sickness and health, despite these things and working through it, um, we're just moving on to the next thing. Instead of where can I plug in and maybe where can I help in that area and go, I'm going to make this better. I'm I'm going to see it as a long term. And you see us do that with missions. Right, We go we go to all these different places as a church you know, and go on seven different mission trips, and that's great, but we don't see it as, I'm going to invest in this area of the city. I'm going to invest in this location. I'm going to invest in this ministry, and I'm going to look at the next 20 years and build relationships with these people. Right. I'm going to get to know him and his kids, and then when his kid's 15, I'm going to have been involved in their life. I'm going to have the ability to speak into their life with trust because of our relationship, and I think that's where the gospel shared, And so many of us, because of this generational cycle of consuming, we never get that opportunity. Mm. We don't know people long enough. We're moving from Sunday school to Sunday school, from B group to B group, from church to church, and we never get to see the gospel lived out because we don't stay long enough to experience it.
1: I I don't think, especially in larger churches, and I I think, and we haven't really discussed that, but I think size is a big factor in churches that, that can be positive and negative in a variety of ways, but, but I do think a lot of people are, are missing out on on true Christ-centered community within their local church. They have friendships and they have acquaintances within their local church. But in terms of actually being known by other people and knowing other people and actually doing this kind of New Testament thing of bearing one another's burdens, that's not really happening because we're not actually deep enough together in order to do that. And I, I think it's it's a missing
0: link. And and I, I think it's a pretty easy tweak to start moving in that
1: direction. We just have to make it and go after it.
0: Absolutely. And we have to, I think as church as a whole, we have to... to... Do that from the top down. Mm-hmm. We have to model as leaders and as pastors and as therapists and as you know, people that are pushing people to do that. We have to be vulnerable. We have to go to therapy. We have to work on our stuff. We have to talk from the pulpit about real things and real issues, whether it's addiction or anger or greed or selfishness. And we have to use our own sin and our own brokenness because as, as Christ says, you know, boast in your weaknesses right and that's that's not a i'm the worst braggy type of thing but that's going we're all in this together Mm -hmm. you can come boast in your weaknesses and you boast in your weaknesses and we all need jesus and and it's okay to be vulnerable but people don't see that and so when they go to small group or they go to wherever they never get deep so they spend a year in in a bible study with a group of guys and not one person talks about that they view porn Mm -hmm. and yet 80 percent of protestant males in the last month have viewed porn Mm -hmm. that's the statistic Mm -hmm. and so it's like you do these things but they never scratch the surface and then of course you're left going well this wasn't fulfilling i don't need it mm-hmm. and so i just challenge people as leaders as as pastors as as followers of christ to start in your life pushing to go deeper to dig deeper and not just settle for what we've you know made culturally you know acceptable
1: yeah and and so a lot of this for me starts with Christian hospitality, which is not Martha Stewart type hospitality. Right. like Christian hospitality is, is, is loving strangers and in a large church there are probably a lot of people who are strangers to you and um, you know when I used to have this experience when I was on staff at a big church that I'd be out eating dinner with my wife or something and somebody'd walk up, knew my name would start talking to me like they knew me and I, I'd feel like I've never seen this person in my life. And it would, it would become apparent in the course of the conversation, oh, this is somebody that goes to my church. And over time, that just started to become kind of untenable to me. Like how, like in, especially when you start considering the church historically, the, the fact that you could be a pastor of a church and not have ever even seen or spoken to people that go
0: to your church regularly. Your flock yes you don't like like that just started to bother me greatly Mm -hmm. yeah it's not it you know if we're supposed to model our lives after christ it it brings the question like is you know he knows his sheep and his sheep know him and you know Mm -hmm. it's like as pastors do we know our people and there's a lot of pastors who manage big churches it's also personality right it's figuring out what the holy spirit has for you and and how to fine-tune that for the betterment of your congregation your people not the betterment of yourself and again Mm -hmm. it it's the same problem for all of us. We're selfish. We, we come from broken families and we need to heal and be restored to Christ in a way that, um, you know, has nuance and has, you know, specific things that we can dive into and, and understand why they're happening so we can do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got to wrap up, but one of the questions I want to ask is kind of, what are the things that I guess Weston Brown, what's one question that you're asking yourself that you're asking why about in this season of life? And it can be on any topic.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, I, gosh, that is, that's a that's a hard question for me. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know that I'm somebody who asks why in the way that maybe some people do. Um, I think in in my life I've tried, I've tried to embrace mystery and the notion that if God is God, that there are a lot of things that I'm just not going to know the answer to. And that maybe the more comfortable I can get with that, maybe the greater peace and contentment I'm going to find in my life. And so, in general, <laughs> that's that's how I try to conduct myself. Although not very well at some sometimes. I, I think I think the thing I'm asking why about right now it, it relates to COVID on some level. Um, it's. Um, and 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 maybe it's uh maybe not so much a why but but a what like like what is God working out in us? What is God doing in us? What is He refining in us, as a result of this season? Mm-hmm. Um, like what are the idols that He's exposing? What what's the comfort that He's taking away? Um, you and I have talked before about the fact that um, when it comes to like language surrounding discipleship in the Bible, so often it's negative language. It's pruning and refining and um and those sharpening sharpening yeah those those are those are things that don't sound like fun <laughs> and and so certainly right now for a lot of people this is not fun um but but i guess within myself i'm 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 saying god what are you doing here within me you know not just like culturally or in my church or other things but man what what is it that that i need to change right what is it that i need to do differently what is it that i need to see differently um So, so that's, that's a big question mark for me right now. And, and, and I'll tell you one thing that I think has, he's given me a little glimpse of, and this is just my, my, my illusion of control in life is, is a big one that I think has been revealed that just in general, I kind of go through life thinking, uh, I know what's going to happen and that I make decisions that ultimately affect things in the future. And um, that if I make the right decisions right now, five years from now, here's where we're going to be. And that's especially true because we're we're a church plant. And so we're in this stage of kind of building things. And what does a year from now look like? What does two years from now look like? What are we moving towards? And so what COVID has done is, is has, to me, exposed the fact that, oh, we have no clue. And, and that shouldn't come as a surprise, yeah. right? Because Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. You don't know what ha- is going to happen tomorrow. And but this has been a very visceral reminder that I don't have a clue what's going to happen tomorrow. And so sometimes it seems a little silly to project out into the future and say, here's what we're going to do. Here's where we're headed, because I think the scriptures would suggest that there's
0: some foolishness in that. Absolutely. Which, which brings us back down to it's so nice when you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but you can sit with the people that you love and the people that you're in community with and the people that you've been in community with and go, hey, at the end of the day, no matter what happens with our careers, our jobs, America, mm-hmm. we have these people that we can do this together with, mm-hmm. that we know, we can trust, we can lean on each other, and you're going to lean on me and I'm going to lean on you, mm-hmm. and we're going to get through this together. And if that ends in death, we know where we're going, we know our eternity, and we know what's promised. Yeah. That's good. Cool, man. I love you, buddy. It's good seeing you. Love you too, man. Thank you you so much for having me. Yeah. Episode two. uh, Covenant Church Shreveport. What's the website? CovenantShreveport.org. Okay. Yeah. Y'all check it out, and then uh, visit us at ClintDavisCounseling.com. You can check out our website and our therapist. Um, If you're looking to plug into a church, Covenant Church is a great one. Um, And I would, um, you know, look at some other churches in the area and and try to find a place that you can plug into that you could. really invest in and trying to, you know, through this next season of COVID, you know, try to find a way that you can reach out and do some service to churches and pastors and know that they're struggling as well, whether it's financially or whether it's bringing a meal or whether it's just saying, Hey, can I pray for you in some specific way? Or can I help you um, this week with something? And, 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 you know, try not to think of it as how can I consume and how can I wait around until they're able to provide that thing that I need. But, you know, what's some ways that I can literally, you know, give to them out of love, out of prayer, out of works, um, out of money, whatever it is. Um, So thank you all for listening. Be sure to subscribe um, and go to our YouTube channel and subscribe to that. You can watch this um, or get it on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, um, all kinds of places. So check us out. Thank you.